You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I've been on ball clubs where we didn't set any records, but I was on the Pittsburgh club. We lost 112 games out of 154, so uh, I kind of placed myself on an expert on slumps. Former major leaguer turned broadcaster Joe Garagiola. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Tomorrow is the opening day of the 2023 Major League Baseball season. Now, on the first day of the season, the first day of a 162-game season, every team's in first place. Anybody can win the World Series. Any batter can hit 400. Any pitcher can pitch a no-hitter. The world is full of possibilities. Now, on the opening day roster in 1946 for the St. Louis Cardinals was a rookie catcher named Joe Garagiola. That year, Joe played in his first and only World Series. Joe wound up playing in the major leagues for nine seasons for the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Cubs, and the Giants. But it was after his retirement from the game that Joe Garagiola found much greater success in a whole other field of occupation, television. He did sports broadcasting, of course, but he also did game shows, even substitute hosting on The Tonight Show. I met him in 1988 when he was promoting his book, It's Anybody's Ball Game, which was about his post-baseball career. Now, to add some context to the interview you're about to hear, we'd take this in, just in 1988, just a couple of weeks into the season. But already by that time, the hapless Baltimore Orioles had lost their first 13 games in a row. Now, that was at the time a major league record, but unfortunately, the O's went on to lose 21 straight to open the season, which still stands today as the longest losing streak to open the season. Now, also, as you're about to hear, I used to do what we call a slate, which is basically having them introduce themselves on tape. And that's what Joe, the one-time panelist on To Tell the Truth, did. So here now, from 1988... My name... I feel like I'm on To Tell the Truth. (laughs) My name is Joe Garagiola. My name is Joe Garagiola. My name... No. My name is Joe Garagiola. The name of my book is Anybody's Ball Game, and the publisher is Contemporary. Now, I got news for you. After we get done here, we're going to take you to a banquet that starts around 6.30 or so. But first, we're going to stop by my house, and we're just going to... I'm, I just got to change my clothes first. So just I, a couple of the neighbors might stop by. And then we're going to have... We got this chicken as the main meal on the on the, on the the banquet tonight. <laughs> oh, right. How many times have you heard that? I've heard that a few times, Bill. I really have. Uh, that's, a, that's a red flag. When a fellow says he's got to stop by his house, you can start to... <laughs> think, uh-oh, I'm going to shake more hands than the guy running for office. And, of course, the chicken, there is no way in the world they can prepare it that's different from me. In fact, uh, I tell you, <laughs> roast beef is getting like that. I go to a <laughs> restaurant, and the guy says, roast beef, and I'll get up and do 20 minutes, you know, and make my speech. But uh, uh, banquets are a great training ground. Why do you go? I, mean, I, I know why, why a, a team wants to get its players out and, and meet the public at the Kiwanis or the Elks or the Rotary or things like that. But, but uh, you, are, you are in great demand now, obviously, as a speaker then. Well, uh, now I do more charity than I, uh, than I did before. Uh, what I write about in the book are, are those uh, command performances uh, to the extent of uh, be it a ball club, uh, be it a network, an affiliate. Uh, he has a big affair uh, for his club, and uh, he needs someone, so they send a company toy. And uh, sometimes you get chosen to go down there, and, and that's what you run across. Does it ever 
trouble you when you stop to think that you are probably more famous, more well-known, perhaps better liked now than you were when you were a player? Well, why do you say better liked, Bill? I mean, all the pitchers <laughs> loved me. I mean, I had... <laughs> I had pitchers on both sides that loved me. In fact, the opposition would send cabs and say, be sure old Joe gets to the park. No, I, I, no, I have no problem with that. In fact, uh, I kid about it myself. Uh, you know, when I was playing, all you had to do was buy a scorecard, and I had a number on my back, and hardly anybody would stop me. Even my manager, I'd be sitting next to him, and he'd hardly speak to me. But uh, now with television, especially if you do a couple game shows, uh, people, uh, they come up and they feel like they know you. And, uh, and I rather like that. I, I, I get a good warm feeling from that. You know, I had forgotten until I read it in your book. I'd forgotten all about that you worked with President Ford. Oh, yes. We campaigned uh, 76. We almost won it, too. Mm -hmm. We almost won it. In fact, uh, I got a very nice note from him because uh, in the book I talk about, uh, uh, in fact, I was telling the fellow today, driving by the White House, what, what a thrill that was for my family to spend the night in the White House. Because I, I had three ambitions as a kid, and I give my reasons. One of them, when I was daydreaming in history class, I, I would always think, what's it like to sleep in the White House? Someday I'd like to sleep in the White House. And uh, it was great. Uh, a couple of funny little things in there. I remember uh, as soon as we got there, like I get to most hotel rooms, I had to go to the bathroom. And my wife said, but this is the Lincoln room. <laughs> I said, well, I think Lincoln went once in a while, too, you know. <laughs> so uh, my daughter, uh, she just ran around signing, writing all kinds of notes on White House stationery. It was a marvelous, marvelous night. And then the, the next day was probably as... as, as not exciting, but a meaningful day for me because uh, uh, Betty Ford had to make the concession speech. If you remember, the president's voice was gone, and he had asked my family and me to wait until he was finished. He wanted to see us before we headed back, and I walked into the Oval Office, and uh, I threw my arms around him, and him he hugged me, and I said, we should have won this thing, boss. We should have won it. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, hey, there are more important things to worry about now than what's going to happen to Jerry Ford. And I said, not today. Not today. He said, yes, today. I just want to give him the White House better shape than I got it. Uh, the man is, was a strong man, is a strong man. And, and if he called me today, I'd go. He's, a, he's very underrated right now, I think. Well, uh, he's like a lot of ball players. The longer he's gone and the longer you don't play, the better you get. Uh, I was introduced at a banquet about two weeks ago as a baseball legend. <laughs> I, I could just see guys like Hornsby and Waller Johnson, the real legends, just doing cartwheels. <laughs> Is there any question that you think you've never been asked at a banquet? Not really, because... Uh, uh, usually there are sports banquets, uh, so they're all sports questions, but uh, you can almost categorize them. Uh, with the youngsters, it's always how much money did you make? And uh, if uh, there's something in the paper about a particular player's wife, some smart alley kid will get up and say, do you have so-and-so's telephone number? You know, that kind of thing. Just trying to be funny, not to be fresh or, or uh, brazen about it. Uh, and, and usually, who do you think's going to win? But uh, uh, I had one the other day that kind of got me. It said, the highlights and lowlights of my career. The highlight was, was pretty easy uh, uh, to talk about, which was the World Series. Mm -hmm. And the lowlight, uh, as I thought about it, I guess was the first time I got traded. I didn't realize how... Uh, you know, what an effect it had on you because you felt like uh, tarnished goods. 
And I also have another question, Bill, that they asked that uh, the answer generates a lot more interest when they say my biggest thrill in baseball. I tell them I'm playing in the World Series, but that's on the field. Uh, the other one was 1964, broadcasting the World Series in St. Louis with uh, Yogi managing the Yankees and looking down, and I write about it in the book, uh, it was very hard for me to believe that the same Yogi Lottie that we knew that sat in front of the lamppost and the same Joey that sat in the front of the lamppost by Pucci's house, here we were managing and broadcasting the World Series. It was just unbelievable. And uh, as Well, I'm not flag-waving, but it just shows what a great country this is uh, because uh, Yogi and I often talk uh, when we get serious about... The vacuum in our life, oddly enough, is that our parents really never knew what we did because they were immigrants, didn't speak the language, and uh, they, they never really knew. They, For example, Yogi's folks knew he went to the Hall of Fame, but they never could really comprehend what the Hall of Fame is. Uh, and, and, and my folks, uh, uh, some of the things that have happened to me, I remember when I got the Yankee job, I told my mother, I told my brother, I said, well, you tell Mama. He said, what am I going to tell her? I said, well, tell her it's as good a job as her nephew's got in Italy. And he was a bank clerk, and she thought that was so great. So I said, well, tell her it's as good as that. (laughs) I noticed something else, and it took me a while, but then I I finally realized after I'd read, after I just about finished the book, I didn't see any four-letter words in here. And it's so odd to see a sports book, see any kind of book these days, without any four-letter words. You don't even quote anybody with any four-letter words. I will not do that. Uh, First of all, I'm proud of that, that it's clean, because it proves you don't have to be a four-letter expert. And and I've heard all the words. As I said, hey, with DeRocher, he used them grammatically correct. Some of these guys, (laughs) they use nouns when they should be as verbs. Uh, DeRocher was grammatically correct with his four-letter words, so... Uh, no, it's clean. You can anybody can pick that book up, and, and it bothers me that some of the athletes think that they have to prove their macho. I mean, Larry Boa's got a book out, and he calls it Bleep. I wouldn't buy it, and I would tell him right to his face, I wouldn't buy it, it, it just for that very. You know, I've heard the word. Now, why does he do that? Uh, I don't think Larry wanted to do that. Uh, maybe the publisher or somebody talked him into it, but no. I am proud of the fact that that book is clean, and uh, I, I, well, I guarantee you, you got some laughs out of that. Oh, it, d- it didn't lose a thing without those words. No, and 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 uh, I did some things in there. The other thing I'm proudest of is, is my daughter and I did it. You see, uh, I had a funny thing happen yesterday. I thought it was a fellow called on a talk show, and he says, "You know, you waited a long time to write this book." He said, "When I was ten years old, my father gave me that book. Your first one, Baseball's a Funny Game." Now I have a ten-year-old son, and I'm giving him your book. He said, "You're going through four. I said, "Wait a minute, pal," you know, <laughs> but it's the truth because uh, I had writers come at me to want to work with me to do it, but uh, it just never worked. But with my daughter, she pulled it together, and she knew me better than anybody, and 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 I thought she did a great job. After this short break, Joe Garagiola reveals why losing streaks happen. Now back to my 1988 conversation with Joe Garagiola. How does someone with a head full of thousands of stories you must have, how do you decide what goes in a book like this and what doesn't? Well, that was her job. Uh, I had, uh, when I hear a story, I write it down, I, I save it, and I had 
scraps of paper all over the place. I'm a real pack rat. And, and when we talked about it and we argued about it, I said, Gina, for the first three months, you're just going to have to organize. I got notes all over the place. And by golly, she did. And then we started to, to, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Well, we'll talk about the changes in baseball. And that went on and on and on. And game shows, on and on and on and on. And then we had the, uh, the editor, uh, come in after we had seven chapters because I did, I would not take any money. I would not sign a contract until they saw about, it ended up seven chapters. I was going to say until they saw a couple chapters because I didn't want them to come back and say, uh, well, here's what we want. I said, no, here's what I got. If you like it, we'll go on. If you don't like it, let's be friends, and I'll go to someone who might like it. So. Do you mind if I ask how, how many publishers you had to go through before Contemporary picked it up? Well, no, Contemporary. Well, I, I really, I had, uh, let's see, I had at least four feelers. But Contemporary came at me, and Sherry Lesser Wank is the editor. She made no bones about it. She said, we'll take anything you write the way you want it. She said, I read Baseball's a Funny Game. I said, no, no, no. I said, I want you to see this. I said, I don't want you coming at me and saying, you have to write about broadcasters you don't like, about ball players you saw coming in and out of motels or whatever. I said, I, I don't do those kiss and tell things. I said, not, besides, I think that people are sick of it. They got their own problems. They'd like to get a book, and they'd like to laugh about it and be clean. And she says, you write what you want, and it's okay. I said, all right. I'm going to make a tentative deal with you, and when I got some chapters, I'll give them to you. And we gave her seven chapters, and by God, she held to her word. She really did. She That's never right. came at me and said, you could spice it up here, juice it up here, and put a miniskirt on a third baseman or something. Uh, none of that. <laughs> Are there any players today that you see that when you see them play, when you see them take the mound or step into the batter's box, that they're so good that it brings back that thrill that you remember when you first got into baseball. Oh, yes, there's a lot of them. Don Mattingly, when he uh, steps in the batter's box, I love to watch him hit. Ricky Henderson, when he gets on base, uh, I, I love to see a, a relief pitcher like the youngster came in uh, Saturday's game, Dave Cohn, and he had a good live arm. Uh, there are just... You can go on and on. The catcher at San Diego, Santiago, when he starts throwing the ball around, I say, oh, man, wouldn't it be great to have an arm like that and be able to swing the bat like that? Uh, that's the great thing about baseball. The names change, but for me, the feeling, I can pick out uh, uh, feelings. And uh, Speaking of feelings, I can feel for the Baltimore Orioles what they're going through. <laughs> What's with the Orioles? Why can't they win a game? Well, I've been on ball clubs where we didn't set any records, but I was on the Pittsburgh club. We lost 112 games out of 154, so uh, I kind of place myself on an expert on slumps. Uh, what happens, you get, you get off slowly, and then you, you play almost tentatively. Like you know something's going to happen. It's, it's like when is that other shoe going to drop? And that's the big thing you have to fight. It's an easy thing to say, hey, you hit wipe out yesterday's game. But I know when they were going into that game where it was yesterday's or the, the, when they lost the 13th to, to tie the record or set the record, uh, I know that they knew what was happening and they didn't want it to happen. 
And when you don't want something to happen, uh, you press. You're not yourself. And uh, unfortunately, they lost, and, and, and now they're a trivia question, and, and hopefully they'll be able to snap that streak. But, but it's a tough thing to go through, believe me. I think, it's, I think it's hard for those of us who have never played professional ball to understand how you can't just, well, yesterday's game, that was yesterday's game, now we're going to go out and now we're going to win today's game. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you wish you could, and you hear ball players say that. It's just like, if that to me falls in the same category of ball players who go to a World Series or an All-Star game and said, oh, it's just another game. Sure, that's why you walk into the ladies' room accidentally, because you're not <laughs> nervous, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you just can't forget about it. Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on the circumstances, you have the next day, and when there used to be a lot of doubleheaders, you had the next game. Football is even worse. You lose on Sunday. You got the goat horns on Sunday. You have to wait a week, and you have to read about it constantly. Uh, in baseball, at least you have the next day where you got a chance. I mean, okay, maybe tonight's the night, but to wipe it out, it's not that easy. You know, stop and think. Frank Robinson's lost more games now than Cal Ripken Senior did. Is he? Is he in any? Is he a kind of a kind of a nervous man right now? Well, I would imagine. I don't think he's nervous. I think he's got a hockey game going on in his stomach though because it'll turn you but uh, Frank's been around he knows the situation and uh, unfortunately it's always the manager who has to pay the price you're not going to get rid of 25 ballplayers or 24 uh, in these days but uh, Frank knows what he has and the players are really better than the record indicates but how much better I don't know but I know this that uh, they're they're not an 0-13 ball club but hey there it is is there one question you are asked everywhere by everyone that you wish you could answer just one more time and then never have to hear it again? Yes. What is Yogi Berra like? Well, I tried to write in a book because uh, there are two Yogi Berras. There's the Yogi Berra that people have written about and built up that is a myth like Paul Runyon or, or, or Pecos Bill, I talk about in the book. And then there's the yogi that I know, the sensitive yogi, the, the, the guy that if the world was full of yogi bears, we would have no problems. Uh, and, and I said some things in the book about yogi that I have never said anywhere else uh, because I wanted to take a sensitive look. And like people, sometimes writers will say, well, you made up all those yogi bear stories. I say, no, I didn't make them up. The Yogi Berra stories that I talk about, I can sit, you can put a list of the so-called Yogi Berra stories, and you can put Yogi next to me, and we have done it, where I'll just say, that's not Yogi, that's not Yogi, that's Yogi, that's not Yogi, because I know him, and he'll sit there, and, and he knows, he agrees. Now, Yogi, if he was doing an interview with you, Bill, he's not going to do one-liners, People expect him to come on and, and do, say, a whole bunch of funny things. That's not Yogi. Yogi will be in a conversation with you where if it takes you and me a paragraph, Yogi will do it in a sentence. If it takes a sentence, Yogi will do it in a word. If it takes a word, Yogi will do it with a nod of the head or a grunt, okay? <laughs> now, he, he'll say something, and you'll walk away, and you'll think, did I hear that right? You want to turn your head just one notch. You know, you're, you're a little bit out of sync. For example, uh, you, uh, for those who haven't heard him, like the restaurant story. When he, let's go here, let's go there. Okay, Yogi, we'll go. Uh, let's not go there because it's too crowded. Nobody goes there is what he said. <laughs> I, 
I, I have, I have not told Yogi Bear stories for so long because of that. Now that is a Yogi Bear story. Now I'll tell you the, the latest one that I had was when he was building the racquetball court. And, and, and he was having a little trouble getting air conditioners. And when he gets worked up, uh, it, it tickles me because he doesn't get upset that often. He said to me, Joey, and that, that kills me right there because I'm 62 years old. He still calls me Joey. <laughs> he says, Joey, you know how long I had to wait for those air conditioners I never got? How long I had to wait for those air conditioners I never got? I mean, you see, now you walk away from that, Bill, and you say to yourself, did I hear it right? Or Yankee Stadium shadows. He looked at me when he was having problems out there, and he said, I said, yo, those shadows are tough. He said, well, it gets late early out there. <laughs> now, see, that's a funny line, but it's true. It does get late early out there because of these shadows. That's Yogi. But some of these movie reviews he's doing, uh, somebody's writing, thinking that's what he's going to say. He's not, you know, he, I didn't make him get up in St. Louis and say, I want to thank everybody to make this, that made this night necessary. I mean, that was Yogi. He said that. <laughs> Joe Garagiola died in 2016. He was 90. And you can find easy Amazon links to Joe Garagiola's books at our website, heardeverything.com. And also, while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my interviews with two Major League Hall of Famers, two of the greatest players to ever take the field. My 1988 conversation with the great Willie Mays. I didn't want to be just a ball player. I didn't want to be just a, a guy every day go out and do the same thing other guys did. I tried to create things. One of those was the hat, the basket catch. And my 1991 talk with home run king Hank Aaron. I started my baseball career in 1953 in the Negro American League. I made $200 a month. I got $2 a day for meal money. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, for many years, she was editor-in-chief of the Book of the Month Club. And wait till you hear some of the secrets that she reveals. My 1990 interview with Brigitte Weeks. Book of the Month Club books tend to be... We tend to hope they will have a slightly longer shelf life than things that are covering, you know, instant books about how to defeat Saddam Hussein. We try to keep to the books which people are going to want for a long time, which they'll collect and keep on their shelves. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. <laughs>